Welcome back to Four Eyes, the podcast series that gives you a clear view into the optometry world across Canada and the U.S. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Amrit Bilku. I'm Dr. Deepan Carr. Hi, I'm Dr. Ravinder Rindala. And I'm Dr. Alex Kuhn. So Dr. Madan, thank you again so much for coming on to our podcast. We're really excited to learn about um, PRP with dry eye treatment. Uh, but before we dive into that, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely, you guys. I am so excited to be here. Um, and so before I introduce myself, I just really wanted to you know, tell you that I've been listening to your podcast and I love how candid you guys are and just kind of down to earth. And it really helps to connect uh, you with the listeners. You know, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast. And, and I think anybody from like a new grad to, you know, a student to even an old grad like me gets uh, <laughs> something out of it. And so that's really kudos to you. So thank you for doing that. I think it's a real service to optometry that you guys are doing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, a little bit about myself. I am Mania Madan from Vancouver, Canada. Um, so I practice here at, uh, at an OMD practice and at a uh, private practice. Um, I actually started off my career. I went to school to Pacific University. Um, and then from there, I moved to Minnesota um, and to work there for, you know, with my husband there. And then when I was in private practice, I kind of realized, you know, that I had this passion for a dry eye and possibly for, you know, um, more medical management of things. And so even though it wasn't kind of conventional at that time, I'd been out of school for two or three years, I actually decided to go back to school and do a residency. And so I, you know, packed my stuff, left my husband in Minnesota and kind of <laughs> drove halfway across the country and uh, matched in Texas and wow. did a residency there. Yeah, at the Eye Center of Texas, which was affiliated with the University of Houston, which was just a huge clinic with ophthalmologist leaders and optometry leaders working together and just had such a fabulous experience, you know, learning um, all about ocular disease from retina to glaucoma to cornea and, and, you know, with surgical management. So it was just fabulous. It really changed the way I practiced. Um, and so then I moved back to Minnesota, you know, to reunite with my husband who was going to school there at the time. And, um, yeah, and then I, you know, practiced at a really large ophthalmology practice, uh, you know, really doing what I loved in that tertiary care setting. Um, did that for a few years and then moved back to Canada. And, you know, at that time, so this was almost 10 years ago now, I don't think Vancouver was still kind of ready for that tertiary care optometry management. And so that involved, uh, you know, just trying to find my way and how I was going to be happy working and practicing and paving you know, my career kind of thing. And so I remember cold calling ophthalmologists and saying, hey, do you want to work together? And, uh, you know, sometimes it went well and sometimes it didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good learning experience. And so finally ended up working with a really great ophthalmology group uh, where I really feel like we collaborate together on patient care, you know, it's, um, and we all have the same goal that we want to bridge the gap between optometry and ophthalmology. We research together and, that's how PRP came about too, right? Uh, so working in a, in, a, in, a, in a facility like this where you can collaborate and, and look at the bigger picture, I think has been really fabulous. And I've also been fortunate to work um, at a really great optometry practice, uh, you know, with really good colleagues there as well. And, and it's also a referral center for dry eyes. And we see a lot of intra-optometry referrals, which, you know, didn't happen five years ago. So I'm so excited for the change that's happening in optometry. 
Um, and then the third thing that I love doing, um, you know, is also I'm involved with the association and vice president for BC Doctors of Optometry. And I always encourage young docs and students to get involved, right? It's such a big passion of mine to help move optometry in a different direction in BC. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's it. That's me. Busy, busy, busy <laughs> yes. B and D. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good for you for finding yeah. the courage and the energy to do a residency a few years after graduation. Cause I do, I do think it is tough. Cause once you're out there in the real world, um, you know, a lot of people know that it's, you're not in that mindset anymore of having like an academic schedule, right. That you have to follow every day. Of course, there's a cut in pay, you know, de- you know, depending oh. on what type of residency you're going into and, so a lot of people push it off because there's so many other barriers, but good for you for being yeah, motivated enough totally. to do it after because that's tough. Exactly. It's not an easy decision, right? It's, like mm-hmm. you said, for all those reasons, once you've been practicing, but I think that this career, you know, it's like a lifelong commitment to learning and growing. And if that really mm-hmm. sits in your heart, I think at any age, you should just do what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So the first question, well, I guess second question technically, but what is PRP and why should it be considered the future of dry eye treatment? That is a great question, you guys. <laughs> I've been writing. That's, that's writing. Um, so PRP, so it stands for platelet-rich plasma. And if, if I can kind of break it down, and sometimes it's a little easier with pictures, but we'll try to break it down. What basically PRP is, is platelets suspended in plasma. So as you guys probably remember from, uh, you know, back from our biology classes, so our blood has many components in it. It's, you know, maybe 40% red blood cells, it's about 50% plasma, and then the other five, 7% is, you know, platelets, white blood cells, eosinophils, uh, basophils, and all of those other cells. And so what PRP does is um, we take the blood, we draw the patient's blood, and we actually centrifuge it. And so when we centrifuge it, it's settles all the other components of the blood to the bottom. So the RBCs go right to the bottom, the white blood cells, leukocytes, lymphocytes, all of those go right to the bottom. And then we're left with this PR, you know, platelets on top. And on top of the platelets is this lighter liquid called plasma. And so we take the platelets and the plasma and we put it in little bottles for patients to use as eye drops. And that's, you know, it's in most natural form that's PRP, platelet-rich plasma. And so now you might want to ask, well, why platelets, right? Why are we not using the red blood cells and the leukocytes and all these other things? Uh, And the reason is that platelets are actually considered the powerhouses for healing, okay? So if we were to have a cut on our body, on our finger paper cut and, you know, blood comes out, well, guess what? It's actually the platelets in that blood that cause clotting of the blood so you don't keep bleeding, but not just clotting. I mean, these tiny little platelets also release growth factors and which are just the powerhouses for healing that tissue back to its normal uh, strength that it was. So that's why we're really after the platelets and we want to concentrate them because they carry the growth factors, they carry the cytokines, they carry the vitamins that are going to be involved in tissue regeneration and tissue healing. And so the other component of the PRP, uh, and you know, and and I can't emphasize how important that is too, is the plasma, the platelet-rich plasma. And plasma is, you know, again, a natural component inside our blood. It's the yellowish liquid that all these cells are floating in. But plasma, I really love to compare it to Gatorade. You know, it has 
all the electrolytes to really replenish our body. And besides the electrolytes, it also carries immunoglobulins, uh, which help fight infections. And it also carries proteins, which help build structure and function. And so really amazing stuff when you put platelets and plasma together and the, you know, the healing that you can get uh, with it is really phenomenal. So that's why we're after PRP. When you're bottling the PRP, are you adding any other ingredients to it when you add it in the bottle or are you just literally taking it out of the tube, throwing it in a bottle and patient uses it right away? Exactly. That's it. So there's nothing else added to it. And that's a really great question. So no saline, no additive, no stabilizers, no preservatives. It's not diluted. It's 100% the patient's platelets and their own plasma. Um, and then the other really cool thing about it is, the, um, you know, dare I say, there are no side effects. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, patients aren't allergic to their own stuff. Mm-hmm. And if we haven't added anything to it, you know, the, um, and, and that's really rare to say about anything in medicine, uh, is that we really just eliminate any reactions or side effects with it. Um, The other really cool thing about uh, platelet-rich plasma is that it matches the chemistry of our own natural tears, right? Mm. And there's not a lot of things uh, on the shelf, right? We send our patients that have dry eyes. We, you know, tell them, I mean, you can't treat dry eye without having a lubricant. Every dry eye needs a lubricating drop. And what are all those lubricating drops trying to do? They're trying to match the chemistry of our own natural tears, Mm -hmm. right? And what I call our own natural tears are like the bomb. (laughs) They are um, magic tears that have, um, you know, so many, uh, I mean, actually studies show that they have about 14,000 molecules that are found in our own natural tears that are there to nourish the cornea, to protect the ocular surface, to, you know, provide clarity, prevent uh, angiogenesis, the blood vessels or, or neovascularization. And so when we go to the market and we're looking at these drops and we think, well, do they have all those things? You know, uh, they really, they really don't, right? Our own natural tears have growth factors in them. And so this is where really, I think that PRP has bridged that gap. Uh, So PRP does carry all of those growth factors, those healing uh, things that our own natural tears has. And it's also very similar to the, um, the pH of our own natural tears, and then also has uh, osmolarity that's very similar to our own natural tears. Um, I love the Gatorade um, comparison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little basketball star over here. <laughs> um, so the preparation of PRP sounds really similar to autologous serum drops. So I bet you this is probably the most common question you get, but what is the difference between, you know, PRP and um, autologous serum drops? And even what's the difference between PRP and amniotic membranes? Wow, that's a really great question. Um, You know, they're both blood products, right? So they both involve drawing the patient's blood and then centrifuging it to separate the different components. So basically what component we're after. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of the biggest difference and and really the main difference between those two things is that autologous serum actually doesn't carry any platelets. Okay, so it's considered platelet poor serum because when we make autologous serum, uh, that process actually eliminates the, the platelets and they actually settle at the bottom of the test tube along with the red blood cells and the leukocytes and the lymphocytes. 
Uh, they release their content, uh, which is in that liquid portion of the autologous serum, and then we, you know, use that as autologous uh, serum. So autologous serum will have growth factors, but what the studies show um, is that the growth factor number is much, much lower in autologous serum because it doesn't carry the powerhouses that carry the, the growth factors. And so, you know, in really in regenerative medicine and all the healing, it, it's really the growth factors that we're after. And then when you also look at across medicine, uh, you know, so PRP is really taken off. You might have heard about it in, you know, in dentistry. They use it, uh, right, for soft tissue grafts. They use it in dermatology um, and for hair, you know, growth, hair regeneration and joint uh, reconstruction. And so none of those areas actually use autologous serum. You know, so they all use platelet-rich yeah. plasma and they concentrate the platelets in what they need for that uh, part of the body. So dentists end up actually concentrating it to like 30 times. So they make a gelatinous, uh, you know, use out of, out of the platelets and make a fibrin clot with it, but they're using platelets. Uh, whereas we use more of the liquid form of it. So depending on, because we can't put gelatinous stuff in the eye. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just concentrated differently. And so autologous serum doesn't carry platelets. Um, other parts of medicines don't use it. And then the other thing with autologous serum is that um, because of the processing of it, and one of the other bigger, big differences is that it can actually carry inflammatory cytokines, which we don't find in PRP. Okay. And that's also due to the way the blood is clotted and how autologous serum is made. So it has inflammatory cytokines, uh, you know, from leukocytes and monocytes. And these inflammatory cytokines, the studies have shown that, uh, you know, they can actually be um, deleterious to patients that have active autoimmune diseases. So like a secondary Sjogren's patient whose autoimmune is maybe active and we can draw their blood and make autologous, you know, serum, um, you know, that serum could carry more inflammatory cytokines that is actually damaging the ocular surface versus actually healing it. So more often than not, because of this reason, um, autologous serum is often diluted, right? If you've seen the prescriptions for it, it's like autologous 20% or autologous 50%. And what that really means is that it's 20% serum that's from the patient, the blood drawn and centrifuge, and then 80% saline, okay? Mm -hmm or it's 50% serum and then 50% saline. Uh, so by diluting it, well, now we're adding something that's not in our body, right, mm -hmm. into that vial. And then also you're diluting the growth factors even further, right? So instead of having that high concentration of growth factors that was gonna heal, now we've diluted that even further by adding, um, adding the saline in there. So, so head-to-head studies with PRP and autologous serum do show that uh, PRP is superior, uh, and so you do get better healing uh, benefits with it, mm -hmm. and you tend not to get those inflammatory cytokine side effects uh, that you can sometimes get with autologous serum patients. And you know, and you look at them, you're like, in, in they've been on uh, autologous serum, and they're not getting better. And so mm -hmm. it, this could be one of the reasons. We want to take a quick second and thank our sponsor for this episode, which is Cooper Vision. Did you know that more than 40% of Americans have myopia? The number is increasing at an alarming rate, especially among school-aged children. And it hasn't helped that many have been spending more time indoors or in front of screens during the ongoing pandemic. So fortunately, 
us optometrists have the opportunity as eye care professionals to help slow myopia progression. And when it comes to myopia control in children who are 8 to 12 years of age at the initiation of treatment, My Sight One Day is the one for myopia control. It may be the one for your age-appropriate patients as well. And we have good news. Certification is now open to all eye care professionals for Cooper Vision's Brilliant Futures Myopia Management Program featuring MySight One Day, the first and only soft contact lenses FDA approved to slow myopia progression in children aged 8 to 12 at the initiation of treatment. Once you complete your certification, you will also have access to resources and support that will help you communicate with parents, grow myopia control in your practice, and make a difference for age-appropriate children with myopia. So act today and change tomorrow. To get started, talk with your CooperVision sales rep or visit coopervision.com for more information. Now, back to our interview. Do you guys have some experience with autologous serum? I've never prescribed it myself, but I've seen patients who've been using it and it's always um, either it works or it doesn't work or it works or it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And the dilution is always different. Like there's no standard um, procedure for it. So it's like kind of trial and error um, for which dilution you use. So yeah, I've always, I've wondered if like PRP is the same or if it's just like, no, it works every single time or, but autologous serum. Yeah. Some patients have been like, yeah, it works. And then some have been like, no, this just just doesn't work for me. So yeah. Yeah, That's a really interesting point that you bring up too. And so just, you know, been working with blood for the last uh, two or three years. And what I've learned is that the process of making it, you know, there isn't any standardization, right? We lack mm-hmm. that. And, and we're hoping to hopefully see more studies with that, that'll kind of standardize it because we don't really know what the ideal concentration of platelets is or the concentration of autologous serum is. Mm-hmm. But um, in just the variation in patients that I've seen with autologous serum um, and, and, you know, this is some, some of it, it's in the studies, but it, it could also be a result of how the blood, you know, how long they left the blood to clot, right? So if the blood sat there for eight hours versus two days, and that's going to vary the amount of growth factors you're going to get in there, uh, or what speed it was spun at, or how long it was spun at. So there's so many variabilities um, with autologous serum. And and you're totally right, because when I see some of those patients that have been on it too, it's like, I don't know what lab it came from or yeah. how it was and you know and and there's so many of those variabilities with prp um there is also variability you can spin it at different speeds and different oh, okay. um, length of times as well but the one nice thing um is that it's not as much variability as you get with autologous serum um, mm-hmm. and because there's no addition to it either it's okay. just the pure platelets Um, that we get. And another big benefit that I find with PRP is when the platelets hit the ocular surface. And so this is probably more my interpretation rather than um, seeing it in the, you know, in, in literature, but I imagine these tiny platelets releasing their content on the ocular surface, right? Once we put that drop in and now they're releasing that content in a more kind of a bioavailable way, like what's needed. There's a feedback check back loop system. Do you know what I mean? That our body has like, I'm only going to drink so much water as much as I'm thirsty because Mm -hmm. there's something in my body that's going to tell me stop drinking water. 
-hmm. or stop eating. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so when these platelets release all their molecules, I feel like they're interacting so well together to heal that ocular surface and they're releasing things that are needed because they're communicating with each other. That's what our body does, right? It communicates with each other and, and tells us what we really need. And I find that really amazing, um, which autologous serum loses because it doesn't have platelets. It just has empty growth factors, which you know are, can be in any concentration and, and we don't really know. Are amniotic membranes the, um, like similar to that too then? So how, how is that different from PRP as well? Yeah, so amniotic membranes are actually made from donor placental tissue, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so they are, um, so this would be for a patient that you couldn't do a blood draw on or didn't want a blood draw, but wanted some effect of regenerative medicine. So, uh, so amniotic membranes are made from placental tissue and, uh, and, you know, and there's variation in that too. It depends on what period of gestation that amniotic membrane was derived. Mm -hmm. And uh, whatever affects gestation will affect, um, you know, that placental tissue. But it's, uh, you know, the huge benefit that the studies have shown is that it's younger tissue, right? That, I mean, mm -hmm. life is kind of created out of placenta kind of thing. And so it's younger tissue, it's supposed to have more healing, but it's all the same content. So it's maybe a little different combination of growth factors and other cytokines and vitamins and other, you know, recombinant. Mm -hmm. Uh, things that are in there um, but it does have to go through a certain amount of processing before it can get in our hands do you know what I mean so it comes from a gestational uh, tissue and then it has to be processed and transported across um, the country and so some studies have demonstrated that that processing can strip the tissue of its ability you know of all the growth factors and the healing things that it has and so there aren't any head-to-head -head studies right now. And I think that's where the future is. We're gonna see studies between autologous serum and PRP and amniotic membrane and Oxervate and Regenerize. And, and that's maybe is going to give us uh, a clue of what's, uh, yeah, what's happening. Yeah, but I mean, I guess based on what you're already telling us with PRP treatments, this is still a treatment that could be um, like combined with other dry eye treatments, right? Like if someone is doing, um, using any other, you know, like heated compresses and they're doing these other sort of drops and maybe they've used an autologous serum before, it's not like they're not eligible for a PRP drop anymore, right? They can still use those absolutely, drops. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and if we understand, understand dry eye more and more mm -hmm. and you you know, her Dr. Laura Perriman talk about it too, right? And she talks about that bisto of like yeah. multiple heads because their dry eye is such a complicated multifactorial condition, right? Mm -hmm. And so to treat it, we really have to treat all of those factors. And so even when I use PRP, it's not used in isolation. You know, I really combine it with other treatment modalities to get that patient to really see the results because if I don't treat the blepharitis and I'm just, you know, loading them up with growth factors, well, I haven't modified the risk factor, you know, mm -hmm. and we're not going to see the results. So such a great point. And I think layering treatment, you know, always gets us the better results. And I always try to explain to the patients, it's like losing weight, you know, uh, you can't just exercise and then just eat garbage all day. <laughs> yeah. um, think that we're going to lose weight, right? You got to 
you got to work out, you got to eat good, not just breakfast, but breakfast, lunch, dinner, you got to drink water, you're going to manage your stress, and you put all those things together, and we really start to move. Um, and so PRP is kind of like that trainer that's just really going to, you know, um, give you a boost, uh, but you still got to do the other 24 hours, something yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> If we optometrists wanted to get started trying to implement PRP treatments in our practice, what would you recommend are the first kind of steps that we need to take so that we can have this tool readily available in our clinic? Yeah, that's a really good question too. Um, and that's kind of a tough one. So, you know, unfortunately making of PRP is still not as easy of a process, uh, you know, that uh, maybe it will be in the future. So across medicine, there are probably 40 different systems uh, that, you know, we can purchase, uh, you know, that have like centrifuges and, and all of these things that can help us um, make PRP. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, we might have to do a little bit of research to figure out, um, you know, how we want to give it to our patients or how we want to process that blood or how we want to handle that blood. So there are systems available. There are kits or about 40 of them across North America that we can use. They are expensive. Um, the other thing I suggest is, um, you know, maybe hooking up with a lab that's in your area and approaching them. If they already make autologous serum, there are chances that, uh, you know, they may be able to help with doing, uh, making PRP. So it, it might just be educating them, you know, about what you're really looking for uh, and maybe coming up with a paper and saying, and I can share some papers and things that, hey, this is kind of the formula that I'm looking for and, uh, you know, and see if that they can make uh, with it. In terms of setting it up in your own clinic, you know, it is tough, a little bit tough to create the sterile environment that it needs and like the hood fan and all these other little equipment that goes into it, but definitely doable, right? Definitely doable. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, looking at some of the companies that are perhaps in your area that might be the easiest or working with a lab um, to see if we can do that. So yeah. say if you also write a prescription for PRP, what, how would you, what would you write for like the centrifuge time? Cause you're saying mm -hmm. sometimes the centrifuge time is different. So yeah. how would you You know, that's not that? something we would be able to specify. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's what the lab does, just like with a tolerance. Oh, I see. Serum, mm -hmm. like Got it. Okay. Their formula. Do you know Got it. I'm okay. They've worked out that they're able to dispense in a volume that they need. And yeah. Got okay. It. That so, makes yeah. sense. You okay. would just write PRP, you know, use four times a day for three months. Nice. Okay. Wow. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Good questions. I love all the, you know, like real candid stuff. Yeah, <laughs> always get into the nitty gritty. I mean, that, yeah. that's because we it. would think like, how would, what would we do if we were in this situation? I didn't even yeah. know that you could write PRP on a prescription pad. Like that, that didn't ever yeah. cross my mind. Well, right? yeah. So the lab or there's a pharmacy right across from my clinic that does mm -hmm. PRP. And I don't like, if I were to ever prescribe it, I was just thinking like, what do I write on the prescription yeah. pad? <laughs> do I write like centrifuge for this long? But that makes so much more sense that they yeah. already have like a standard practice. of. They like, already have, yeah, yeah, they have it figured out. Uh, and then you okay. would just yeah, you call them up and you would say, Hey, um, the other day we had to compound testosterone drops for a patient for dry eye. And it was just, you know, that conversation with the pharmacist, like, what's your formula? You know, what are you putting in there? What's right. compound? Blah, blah, blah. So just okay. so that you know, but in really what you're really writing in there is just testosterone drops. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. 
Um, and then how do we advise our patients on how to properly use the PRP drops? That's a really good question too. Um, so because it is a blood product and it does not contain any preservatives or stabilizers or anything like that, it, uh, it needs to be handled with a little bit of care, right? So it, of course we always tell our patients to wash their hands. Um, I have my patients use PRP eye drops four times a day for a week and between use, they have to take that bottle and put it back in the fridge. Okay. So, or they, if they are going to be traveling or they're going to be out of the house all day, then they need to carry it in a bit of an ice box so that it stays cold. And so it, you know, prevents infections or contaminations that can grow um, mm -hmm. in, the, in the blood product. Um, and, and then after a week, they discard that bottle and they take a new one out of the freezer and defrost it and use it for the rest of the week. Yeah, so when they get their supply, um, so they just keep one bottle in the fridge um, that lasts a week and then the rest of the bottles are actually in the freezer. And with one blood draw, we tend to dispense about three months of uh, PRP. And, and the studies kind of show how long the growth factors in the platelets will last. And that's kind of where the limit is. Hmm. Okay. PRP is not covered by insurance, right? This is an out-of-pocket cost? It is. Yeah, okay. it is. So it is not, um, you know, and I think that might change because naturopaths do work with PRP and some of them have coverage for it. Uh, so I think there, you know, there may be a change in the future with it. But at this time, I haven't had too much luck with insurances covering, covering PRP. Okay. Yeah. But patients are still very happy to hear about this option, right? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I am too. Yeah, I want to <laughs> yeah Amrit has pretty bad dry eye. And I oh, think, no. everything I think everyone knows used, now. <laughs> everything she's used hasn't really what? worked. <laughs> yeah. no. Amrit has a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, she's a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. um, I, PRP sounds really interesting. So that's... Yeah. Uh, this is something I do want to try. I might uh, call up uh, Dr. Maharaj and uh, <laughs> to what I to get started on PRP. That's right. <laughs> Just for me. <laughs> yeah. And we've um, been really successful with it. I mean, so we've been using it for about three years. And I honestly, I can count on my hand how many patients have come back in those three years and said, you know, doc, I didn't really love it. Um, mm. So it's very, very little. I think it has a very high success rate, even in the studies. Um, so it, it helps. But You've got to layer the treatment and I can't stress that enough in just treating the whole spectrum of dry eye disease. Mm -hmm. So say if we do prescribe PRP drops, what should the follow-up care look like and when should patients expect relief from their dry eye symptoms when using the PRP drops? Yeah, so the studies show patients can start to notice a difference in seven to 10 days which is Ooh, okay. amazing. Yeah. So usually within, you know, week, week and a half, they can start to feel like, oh, this is good. And the really amazing thing is that they never complain that it stings or burns. It doesn't, you know, mm -hmm. it's not like drugs that, that do that. And so right off the bat, it's, it's soothing, especially in, you know, a lot of my Sjogren's patients where I really see the big impact of this, they have so much corneal staining and, uh, you know, uh, filaments and irritation on the cornea. And it's, I've posted some pictures about it on Instagram as well. And, um, you know, so please check out my photos mm -hmm. <laughs> on um, Instagram, um, but they're really cool. Um, the follow-up for me, usually for those patients is two months. So I'd like to see them back in two months and see how they're doing. Um, usually I am seeing a huge reduction in the corneal uh, staining at that point. I'm seeing, you know, that their lids and lashes are better because we've started them on something. 
Um, I'm seeing that they're, you know, the whites of their eyes are a little bit calmer. Um, and then at that two month period, you know, then because PRP is only going to last another month, then we kind of talk about how we're going to maintain it, you know, so for the moderate to severe, they might want to do another round of it to uh, really get some more benefits out of it. Um, but if it's more of the milder to moderate and, and we think that we can go into maintenance and then at that time is a really good time to talk about um, how we're gonna sustain the results and when I'm gonna see them back. Mm -hmm. um, is there a way for patients to tell that the PRP drops have spoiled? Like, do they change a color or something or does it start burning in the eye if, it, yeah. if they've gone bad or something like that? Like say if they just didn't store it properly or something. Yeah. And sometimes patients do stretch it, right? Yeah. Uh, like oh, I just didn't get my four drops in and then there's some left in the vial and they don't want to throw it at the end of the week. And then like right. at the end of week two, they're still using yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. No, I have had some patients say it's not a color change. There's no odor or anything to it, but that they do find that maybe it just burns a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, we did just uh, ask about insurance coverage. Now you're located in British Columbia. So I wanted to ask two questions. Um, you know, what is the average cost of this PRP treatment for the three months in, I guess, BC or in, in over like Canada, if you know any mm -hmm. other docs that are doing this. And mm -hmm. so in the U S if you know of any docs that are doing this, what's the average cost for these treatments? Yeah. The average cost is about 500 to 600. Okay. For uh, for the three month supply in Canada, in Canada. And I think that's yeah. pretty comparable to what it's in the U S okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Good and I, yeah. And I think, uh, autologous serum is probably around that as well. Maybe a little bit cheaper. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. maybe 50 to 500 range. for okay. serum. Yeah. Um, and then we have an interesting question. So if PRP has regenerative properties, is there any evidence that PRP could potentially regenerate atrophied meibomian glands? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm just, I'm going to love wanting to see some research on that, right? Because mm -hmm. um, actually in the States, so not in Canada, you know how we do meibomian gland probing, and I know we're doing that in Canada. Uh, but in the States, they're actually um, injecting PRP right into the meibomian glands. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, to see if there is any regeneration. Uh, there was a paper that was published um, that when PRP was um, actually injected into lacrimal gland, you know, every month on a monthly basis that they did see some regeneration in the lacrimal glands. And so we don't know, I don't have the answer to that, but it's, uh, it's I think it's in the works. It's, it's, tr it's being tried. And I, I think that yeah. there will be some studies um, to show uh, mm -hmm. if there is. Um, and we know that with IPL, right, we are seeing some, uh, some changes in the, in the cell structure of those meibomian glands. So I think we're really at the tip of this whole meibomian gland stuff. And it's going to be really exciting to see um, what comes out. Mm -hmm. Have you ever noticed changes in your patients, uh, like mybography when you, you, when you provide PRP as part of the treatment? Um, that's a really good question as well. <laughs> um, so we've been doing my biography for about two years, right? It's, uh, it's not, 
it's like what topography was 25 years ago, you know, yeah. We, yeah. we were just starting to get it. And, um, and now it's like, you know, everybody has a topographer. So I think my biography is getting to be that, right? I think yeah. it's, it's an important tool to now start to look at and understand. But I think when we're photographing them, I don't think it's fair to still say, I don't think we know enough. Mm -hmm. um, Not a know. direct correlation, but any like it mild is. improvements that you've noticed yeah. or not not so much exactly yeah it's it's just too hard to say what we're really looking at and how that structure of the meibomian gland relates to the function you know sometimes you know we see patients that have so much atrophy or loss and then they're you still see oils out of them and you're like oh wow going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah that shouldn't be like there. i thought i knew everything but i don't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's dry eye right it just tricks yeah. you every it just it really way. does and i think yeah the the you know the the structure and the function are we, we still don't quite know yeah. how they're linked yeah yeah so that's yeah. true and then are there any other kinds of blood biologics that have been shown shown to be promising in the treatment of ocular disease um, so yeah, I mean, there is, you know, there's Oxervate. Uh, so these are all types of um, regenerative medicine, let's call it, right? Because they're all derived from either cord blood or recombinant growth factor or whatnot. So there's Oxervate out there, there's Regenerize out there, there's those Procara BioD uh, membranes. Uh, in terms of even PRP, there's been so many different formulations of it that are used, the concentrations. So there's PRL, which is um, platelet-rich lysate. There's PRF, which is platelet-rich fibrinogen. Um, so just different areas of it um, that are out there. Uh, unfortunately, we just don't have any studies that compares all of these different things. We know that the studies show that they all help. They all have some degree of um, healing properties on the surface, but we just, we, we don't know where they all kind of grade, I guess. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. We asked you so many questions. <laughs> we only emailed you like eight. <laughs> we, just, we just bombarded you with so much, but, um, yeah, Dr. Madan, we just learned so much from you. So thank you so much. Is, is there any other information about PRP treatments for dry eyes that we didn't ask or that you wanted to add for our listeners today? Um, no, I think, I think you guys asked all the nitty gritty questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're like ready to go to sleep now. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really excited to see where, you know, um, it's a different way of practicing, right? And I think everybody is looking for maybe more natural options too. Um, yeah. so it, it's different and it's been really exciting um, working with uh, PRP over the last couple of years and sharing it with our colleagues in Vancouver and the patients and stuff. So yeah, I'm excited for you to come to Vancouver and try it. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I would fly to Vancouver. If this is the only option I had, I would do it. <laughs> um, like you said, I think PRP would definitely fly off the shelves for dry eye treatment. All you got to do is put a sticker on it that says natural organic and yeah. <laughs> people will take it yeah. <laughs> oh that is so true and then you know if there's any leftover you just kind of rub it on your skin yeah but yeah so thank you so much dr madan for coming on we're so happy we finally got to meet you and hear all about this PRP journey and you've definitely given PRP like a celebrity name now on social <laughs> 
Wikipedia, which is good. <laughs> How can people contact you to learn more um, if they're interested? Um, would you like to share any resources? Yeah, I'd love to get in uh, touch with people and always love to share information and collaborate with them. Um, so they can contact me through my Instagram, right? It's doctor.mania.madan or my website, which is Vancouver Eye Doctor. Um, .ca in Vancouver. Um, yeah. And um, I, you know, I'm happy to share my email address as well. Uh, but the other two might be a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, the information you gave was great. Like, I'm glad we got into the nitty gritty because I feel like yeah. sometimes these complicated topics, it's just a quick overview. And then when people actually want to start it, they don't really know the first yeah. steps to take. But I think we yeah. really got into that. Thank you to everyone for listening to Four Eyes. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating to give us feedback on how we're doing. You can also check us out on Instagram at Four Eyes Optum for more content. Look out for new episodes every Wednesday. So until then, stay tuned. Stay tuned.